This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It's a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. You know, at our home, my wife has a lot of flowers that she's planted out in the yard, and, and uh, one of those are, are, are lilies. They're beautiful lilies. And, and, they, and just a few days ago, those lilies were in full bloom. I wish you could have seen those lilies, but I wouldn't show them to you today. They're just no comparison to the way they looked and the way they look today. You, you know, in life, there are lots of things that, of which there's no comparison. And, and especially is that true in the spiritual realm. And today we want to think about some things of no comparison. Please stay tuned. Today we continue to offer a free Bible correspondence course. And we're going to pause so you can learn how to receive it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'm going to read now from Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? In the 46th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah is talking about dead idols versus the living God. For example, he says, Baal bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols were on the beast and on the cattle, and, and, and your carriages are heavily loaded, a burden to the weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves have gone in, into captivity. And he's talking about the, the, the idolatry of that time. Notice he says in verse 6, uh, they, they, they lavish gold out of the bag, weigh silver on the scales, they hire a goldsmith, he makes a gold, they prostrate themselves, yea, they worship, they bear it on their shoulders, they carry it, they set in its place, it stands from its place, it shall not move. They put an idol in a certain place, it won't even move. And though one cries out to it, yet it cannot answer. They cry out to this idol, it won't answer them, nor save him out of his trouble. You know, when he's talking about God in this verse, in verse number 5, there's just no comparison with the God of the Bible with any other God. There's no God, no God like the God of heaven. You know, the Lord in that Exodus chapter 20 told his ancient people, thou shalt have no other gods before me. 
But men have had other gods before the true God of heaven. There's the God of wealth. How many people now are bowing down to the God of wealth? You say, well, what is a God in that context? It is anyone or anything to which you devote more time, more money, more energy, more love, more interest toward than you do the God of heaven. And so there are those that have made a God out of money. There are actually those that have made a God out of nature. They have made a God out of pleasure. They worship it. They've made a God out of entertainment. I've often wished on a Sunday afternoon as I might catch a few minutes of a football game and see the crowd that's gathered there. I've often wished that I could preach to a crowd like that on the Lord's day. I've been reminded by my wife a few times that you do preach to a crowd like that on television. You just, you just can't see them. Well, you see, we need not to be bowing down to the God of entertainment. And so we, we bow down sometimes to the God of self. People can make a God out of themselves. And if there's ever a generation that has began to turn inward, and to worship self, it seems to be our present generation. Think about the pictures we make with our cell phones. What do we call them? Selfies. We take pictures of ourselves. So men have made gods out of many things. In Joshua 24 and verse 15, Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he said, as, as for me and my house, we'll serve God. There are all kinds of gods. And there were the gods that the children of God had been subjected to in the land of Egypt. And he said, you can make a decision whether you're going to serve those kind of gods those false gods, those dead gods, those gods that cannot speak, those gods that cannot hear, those gods that cannot see, or whether or not you're going to serve the true and the living God. It's your choice. It's your decision. You choose. But he said, let me tell you my decision. And my decision and my, the decision of my family is that we choose the true God. We're going to serve Jehovah God. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 5, he says, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And there is none else. There is no God beside me. There is no other God. We live in a time when people talk about everybody having their own God. There are those that have their God. Uh, this religion, the God of that religion. But let me tell you, the Bible teaches there is one God. And that one God is a self-existent God. The little child's question, who made God, is a good question. But the fact is that God is self-existent. He is an everlasting God. He is a God who is from everlasting to everlasting. He dwells in eternity. 
He is in eternity. Isaiah 57, 15, Psalms chapter 90, verses 1 and 2. God is, is the God that reigns over all. As Paul described him in Ephesians 4, 6, that in him we live, or in Ephesians 4, 6, he said, there is one God who is above all, through all, and in you all. Then in Paul in Acts chapter 17 says that in him we live and we move and we have our very being. See, he is the God who is uh, uh, the God of heaven. And he is a God who created everything that exists, but he made it out of previously non-existent material. Somebody says, well, how can you prove that, Brother Lambert? Well, let's just read the Bible. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. So the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. See, God created the world out of nothing. He didn't have material sitting on the shelf somewhere. and said, well, let me use all these materials and I'll make the, the world, and I'll make the universe, and I'll make man. God created everything out of nothing. And He is a God who made, made all things that exist in our world. The opening sentence of the Bible stands like an archway at the beginning of the universe. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God exists, and we need to have a greater appreciation for God. God is the great architect. You know, everything that exists has some kind of design. Take, take the automobile that you drive. There's design in that automobile, and it's made so that it will be easy to drive, that it will be safe, be comfortable, get good gas mileage, and all of those kinds of things. There was someone who sat down and began to draw up the plans and the design for that automobile. It didn't just happen. It did not just happen. Everything that exists in the universe had someone to, to, to plan it, to, to draw up the plan for it. Is it an accident that the sun is the right distance away from the earth? For if it were closer, we would burn up as far away, we'd freeze to death. Is it an accident that the moon is the right distance away from the earth? Is it the, uh, an accident that the earth is tilted on its axis uh, uh, the, the right degrees? Is all of that an accident? There's planning, there's design in everything that exists. And if there is design, there's a designer. I've heard people say for years that the earth is winding down, that the universe is winding down. I, I remember the late Gus Nichols making that statement when I was just a, a boy preacher back in my 20s. And he, he would say that, that, that's, that the universe and the earth and everything is just winding down. But my question is, if it is winding down, who wound it up? Someone wound it up. And it is God who wound it up. Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. God wound it up. 
Psalms 19 and 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Folks, there's just no God like the God of the Bible. Oh, He is so great and He is so powerful. In Psalms 145 and verse 3, David said, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And God is great. God is great. You know, we teach the children the prayer. God is great. God is good. Let us thank Him for our food. And you can't start teaching children about the greatness of God too early in life. God is great in His might. He is great in His love. He's great in His power. He's great in His mercy. He's great in His grace. He is such a great God. Oh, how we ought to love Him. With all of our heart, with all of our soul. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Because you see, there's no God like the God of heaven. Folks, there's no life like the Christian life. Now, an individual, from the standpoint of legality, from the standpoint of the constitution of our nation, has a right to live any way they want to so long as their life does not violate the laws of the land. That is, a person has the legal right to be an atheist. A person has a legal right to live the life of, uh, of an adulterer. A person has the legal right to live the life of a drinker or a drunkard. They have a legal right to live the life of, uh, of homosexuality. They have a legal right to live any way they want to live. But I want to tell you something. There's no life that can compare with the life of a child of God. There, there's no life. But the life of a child of God is a life that begins when one becomes a believer not just a believer, but a baptized, penitent, confessing believer in Jesus. Je Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And, and we begin to live that life of a child of God. And now we're new creatures in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 You see, when a person is baptized into Christ, According to the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, we come up out of the waters of baptism to, to walk in what? In newness of life. You did not have that new life until you were baptized into Christ, but now you rise to walk in newness of life. We have a new way to spend the Lord's day. Now that I'm a Christian. And that way we spend the Lord's day is we're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And we ought to be so happy and joyful about coming together with the saints on the Lord's day to worship. We ought to look forward to that day all week long when we can gather together and gather around the Lord's table to commemorate the death and the suffering of Jesus on the cross 
and to sing and to pray and to hear the Word of God taught and to be willing to give to God as a sacrifice of our love. A new way to spend the Lord's day. We, we have a new way to, teach our, to, to, to treat our neighbor now. But why? Because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Jesus said you're to love your neighbor like you love yourself. And if you love your neighbor like you love yourself, you're going to love your neighbor with all your heart. Because Paul in Ephesians 5 said, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord the church. So we're going to treat our neighbor good. I, I, I just believe that the Christian life is the best life, the greatest life. There's no other life to compare with it. You compare the Christian life with the life that a person lives that's caught up in the drug culture. Compare the Christian life and the life a person's living that, that is now addicted to the use of alcohol. Compare the life of a Christian to the life of that individual who has now become addicted to, to gambling. You, you see, the Christian life is the best life that an individual can live. There's no life like it. Why? It's a life of peace. We have that Paul, as Paul described in the Philippians 4, 7, that, that peace that passes all understanding. There's no other life like it. You compare the peace that you have as a Christian with the turmoil that's in the heart of that individual who's living out here in the world. Folks, there's just no comparison. You see, when we talk about things of no comparison, there's just no life like the Christian life. You, you think about the hope we have in, the, in living the Christian life. Now, because we're now in Jesus, we have hope. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Christ is our hope. And Colossians 1.27 says, In Christ in you the hope of glory. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 said there's just one hope. And Romans 28, 24, he says we're saved by hope. Now think about it. Consider the hope we have as Christians with the hope that a person has out here in the world that has absolutely no idea what they're doing, where they're headed, and where they're going to be when they get there. That is, they have no aim in life. They have no purpose in life. They have no goal in life. They're as what one man called just a wandering generality. And it's Jesus that gives purpose to life. It's Jesus that makes life worth living. It is Jesus who instills hope in our life. There are so many people today that are hopeless. They're hopeless. They have no hope. If you were to ask them, what do you see for the future, they would, they would have to just give a great big question mark. I really don't know. But you see, to the person who's a child of God, you ask them, what do you have for the future? There's no question mark. There's an exclamation point. Because we have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, there's just no life like the Christian life. I wish there was a way. I wish I really had the ability to do this. I wish there was a way to convince you that being a Christian is more important than making money. I wish I could convince you that being a Christian is more important than the kind of automobile you drive. 
I wish I could convince you that being a Christian is more important than how much money you have in the bank. I wish I could convince you that being a Christian is more important than what kind of home you live in or where it is located. Because being a Christian will save your soul. These other things one day are going to be gone. They're going to be passing away. They're going to be burned up at the end of time. But our hope for the future is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, there's no life that can compare, begin to compare with a Christian life. Why wouldn't you become a Christian today? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? You old said, Brother Lambert, I believe that for a long, long time. And so if you believe Jesus is the Son of God and you've acknowledged that, let me ask you a question. Are, are you willing to repent of your sins? You say, Brother Lambert, I've, I've been wrestling with this a long time and I've been thinking about giving my life over to the Lord for a long time. Well, let me ask you one question. What are you waiting on? You know, Saul of Tarsus was asked that question one time. He was asked, why tarriest thou? What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Wouldn't you really like to have your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you like to know that your sins have been forgiven in Jesus' blood? And then you're Christian and you begin to live this Christian life that we're talking about. My friend, there is just no life like it. No life like that of a Christian. So now we've talked about in our study of things of no comparison, there's no book like the Bible. That there is no institution or organization like the New Testament church. There is no God like the God of heaven. And there is no life like the Christian life. But let's conclude our study in thinking about this. There is no place like heaven. There's just no place that can compare with it. I'm sure that you have been to some places that are outstanding places, beautiful places, places that, that, that are so beautiful that you can't really describe them. I, I've seen places like this. I've been to the beautiful Bellingrath Gardens in Mobile, Alabama. If you've never visited the gardens, you need to go see it. It's a beautiful place. I've been to Honolulu, and I've seen some of the things there that, that, that I just, I absolutely just took me back when I saw them, the beauty that I saw in things there. But I've never seen anything compared with what we read about in the Bibles concerning heaven. I've seen the mountains. I've seen the great smoky mountains, especially in that time of the year when the leaves are beginning to turn all of the different colors. Oh, it's just a sight that is beyond uh, description. And I've seen the, the Niagara Falls. And that's hard to describe to people. You just have to go see it for yourself. But my friend, I'm going to tell you, of all the places on this old globe, there's not a single one of them that can compare to the place called heaven. But I know it's up there. I know heaven is real. And here's the reason I know heaven is a real place is because my Lord said so. 
Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I know it's there. I know it's real. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now I might emphasize that it's prepared people that go to that prepared place. And unprepared people in a prepared place wouldn't be quite right, would it? And a prepared person in an unprepared place wouldn't be right. A prepared person in a prepared place is exactly right. I cannot tell you today what heaven really looks like. We can only know from some of the things that are said in the Bible about heaven. I know that there is no sin in heaven. In Revelation 21, 27, John wrote that there, there will in no wise enter in anything that defileth the work of the abomination or maketh a lie. There's not going to be any sin there. It's hard to conceive, isn't it, of a being in a place where there's no wrongdoing. You don't have to worry about a, a, a carry permit anymore. You don't have to worry about having policemen. You don't have to worry about having a, alarms on your home. You, you see, you're in a safe place. There's no sin and there are no sinners there. And, and heaven is going to be a place where there's no need for the sun, there's no need for the moon, for, for God and the Lamb are the light there. God's a source of all light, according to James 1.17. And it's in this place there's going to be perfection. Revelation 21.4 says, In heaven there will be no death, there will be no sorrow, there will be no pain, there will be no tears in heaven, because all of those things are passed away. The former things are gone. We don't have those things anymore. I can't imagine being in a place like that. You get to heaven, you're not going to have to ever attend a funeral. If you go to heaven, you're not ever going to need some help with your arthritis or your, your migraine headaches anymore because all of those kind of things are gone. That's what heaven is like. Folks, there's just no place like You don't want to miss heaven. Let me encourage you to become a Christian. As a believer in Jesus Christ, be willing to turn away from the sin in your life and acknowledge you believe Him with all of your heart to be God's Son, and to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Oh, I love you, and I want you to go to heaven one day, because there's no place like it. None. I want to thank you for watching today. And in the closing moments, may I give you a personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also pick up the, the phone and call for the Bible course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you, is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.org. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at knowyourbible at golftel.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214.
Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580, or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.